1: Welcome to the Agent of Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Mark Boudis. We're in unprecedented times right now. We've seen the Dow Jones fluctuate 3,000 points in a day, circuit breakers were tripped two times in one week, and oil hit recently an 18-year low. Investors are looking for liquidity. They're selling things like long-term government bonds, gold, and muni bonds, which are typically seen as safe havens where investors flock to uh, when they flee the stock market. Um, and the stock market's decreased 30% from its February peak. In fact, it's the market's close to giving back all of its returns gained since Trump got elected in 2016. So on today's show, I wanted to cover three main topics. First, I wanted to explain what's happening. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. So I wanted to focus on what the numbers of all this uh, with everything going on are. Um, it does. This does end mark the end of the bull market, at least for now. Um, and I also want to talk about how this coronavirus is different than other pandemics that we've seen previously. Secondly, this is bad, but um, it, our most recent comparison that we're seeing is to 2008, to the recession that we saw then. And I wanted to just compare it and show how it is similar yet different from from that. Uh, we've seen a lot of volatility both up and down. We've seen the single biggest market movement days um, both up and down in the past decade which uh, occurred this month in March. Um, it was the quickest shift to a bear market we've ever seen. Um, and I think that drawdown was partially due to a lack of information or uncertainty um, because the under, uh, the economic underpinnings were generally pretty strong coming into this, this crisis. And then lastly, I want to talk about the path forward. The, the economy was fundamentally sound prior to this crisis occurring, um, which does provide some hope moving forward. No one can make a credible economic forecast which is one of the reasons why that uncertainty um, did cause the swift and we were seeing such a extreme amount of volatility. Um, with everything. So on the, on the first part of, of what's what's happening now, the virus has been detected in more than 190 nations and it grows by the day. Just you know, to put a reference point out there, people recently were perplexed by India, which is a country that has a similar population density to China, and they didn't know why they, they didn't have that many cases. Well, today, which is March 24th, they just went into a three-week lockdown starting today. So I think... Um, Every continent has seen cases with the exception of Antarctica, and we're, uh, we're obviously seeing that the number of cases, number of deaths um, continue to rise. At this time, there's no vaccine to protect against COVID-19 and no medications approved to treat it, although hopefully we, we've seen some positive um, results, um, one using an anti-malaria drug, and even if you combine it with some antibiotics, we're seeing that uh, it lessens the length of the, uh, of the virus. And um, I know some of the, the pharmaceutical companies are working on a vaccine. Um, I know these things take time, so it's not that uh, we'll have a vaccine tomorrow, but um, you know that's one of the ways of, of preventing or minimizing the impact of this going, going forward. The best source of current information on the spread is, uh, or what I found, is, is through John Hopkins. They provide an inter- interactive world map of cases and all these different options for sorting it, um, whether you want to sort by total cases, recoveries, deaths. um, I'll leave the link of this map in the show notes. And on that website, they show the cumulative uh, confirmed cases within the U.S. So you can see each uh, circle, or you can see a heat map of where, you know, a different particular state, city, where the bigger circles are, the more cases are there. And uh, I guess you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because a lot of it is related to who's doing the most testing. Um but New York, uh, New York, and New York City has become the epicenter of it in the in the U.S. So as of March twenty fourth in the U.S. there are currently forty six thousand one hundred sixty eight cases. We've seen well two thousand four hundred thirty four from yesterday, and we've uh, experienced five hundred and eighty two deaths. If this is on a leaderboard, the U.S. right now it's third behind China and Italy in terms of number of cases and, and deaths. So I think the level of uncertainty will continue to create chaos in the markets, and you know I think there's there's no way around that that right now. Um, so we know it's bad, um, but how does it compare to to 2008? So I think in the absence of of any direction, and and like I said, there is a lot of uncertainty. It's become. Um, you know, plain—it's obvious that investors are are really reacting to headlines. So instead, you know, instead of looking at the long-term risks um, of what's going on, investors are basing their trades on emotions. Um, you know, really, instead of numbers, and this is part of what's caused the volatility in the past couple of weeks. Um, But, you know, I use investors. A lot of this volatility is also caused by algorithmic trading. So that's your computers, your big institutions, your big hedge funds that as soon as certain price points are hit, they just pile on and start either selling or start buying. And then once one does, another one does. And all of a sudden now you have a large number of shares that are trading hands um, and pushing the market one way or the other. Obviously, recently it's been down. So on, just to put in some reference point, on, on March 16th, the Dow recorded its worst one-day point drop in history, which was almost about 3,000 points, and its worst performance on a percentage basis since October 19th, 1987. Um, and ironically, on March 13th, so a couple days earlier, which was really the, the Friday before, it had one of its largest point gains ever, where it, it rose 9.3%. Most of it came in the last 30 minutes of, of trading. So it's been up or down greater than four percent for six days um, in the past couple weeks, and really the last time that we've seen those big of swings was November of 1929. So um, you know we're we're talking going way back to the to the Great Depression with it. Um, So everyone's question is when will this extreme market volatility end? And I think it's you know it will continue until there's a clear path forward from from the crisis that's going on. which could be three things which is you know we're looking for or the market's looking for a sustained decrease in cases a sustained decrease in deaths or the the creation of an effective vaccine against it um, but until then we're, we're we're bound to see you know those swings up and down um, you know i think in addition the recovery will co- require an increase in economic activity and what we also need to see because the other thing that kind of was swept under the rug is there's a lot going on in the oil and energy sector um, with different credit issues and different I guess geopolitical issues that need to be resolved as, as well. Um, you know we're, we're looking a little bit towards China just because they the virus did originate there. Um, so they are somewhat of a leading indicator regarding recovery and uh, their econ- you know their economic rebound. Some of that is positive. so they you know it's two months so from when it first started there we're seeing things open up. Um, their stock market did come back a lot from, from what it lost. So there is some positives that we're, we're seeing on that, that front as well. And I think really, um, you know, once, once the testing of it is, is increased a lot, uh, we can really see really what the, the impact is. We can sort of isolate the, the people that are impacted by it, the people that, uh, are not, and, um, you know, hopefully that having that data, the market, um, the market likes that data and, and can start making decisions on calming down and, and on a path going going forward. So the question is, is what's going on now, is it comparable to, to 2008? Um, and we're starting to see those comparisons a lot more now. You know, initially when this first started, they would say, oh, no, it's, it's not like 2008 is. Um, right now, The effects on the market are less severe than 2008. Although what we're seeing is there's a financial stress indicator, and that's the highest. It's the highest now um, since that time, which is really no no surprise. So for comparison, as of you know about where we are now, March 24, stocks have fallen about 30 percent from their peak in 2008. There was a 59% drop from peak to trough, and what that represents is the highest that they, the the stock market ever was to the trough, which is the bottom or the lowest point that it ever was during that financial crisis. Um, so, yeah, we're not we're not out of the woods with with this um, by any means, but right now it's it's not the same impact that we saw in 2008. Um, another difference with this current situation, and then you know when you compare it to the financial crisis is that the financial crisis it it started from systemic bad practices within the financial system um you know if we look right now our banks are are pretty solid um a lot of that came was what came out of the financial crisis and how banks had to really improve their balance sheets improve their lending practices um you know this this is caused by a health crisis um the Fed so far has been quick to act. They slashed interest rates by 150 basis points, which is one 1.5%. One they added uh, liquidity to the markets, backstops for commercial paper, money market funds. They've initiated a massive quantitative easing buying with about $700 billion that they're pumping into the market. We're seeing some strains in the bond market, which have been eased by some new bond buying programs and stimulus measures for individuals, which hopefully our government can can get their act together and pass, but from what we're hearing, it looks like it could be in the neighborhood of $2.5 trillion of of a stimulus package. Um, The Fed's also providing billions of dollars in liquidity to the central banks, um, which then flows down to the the regular banks, and, and they pump money or get money into the economy. So that's all good Good things on the economic front. If we look at comparing, you know, if we stick on the bond or fixed income to- topic, if we look at triple um, B bonds versus triple A bonds, the average spread historically is about 150 basis points, so that same 1.5%. And triple A being the the most highly rated, whereas triple B being less rated. Right now, we're at 154 basis points, which is another indicator that we're actually already in a recession. And, you know, the fact of us going into recession, it's, it's probably not, it's, it's obvious that that's going to happen when you shut the, you know, you basically shut down the the economy, the country, um, a recession is definitely something that's going to happen. Um, another big issue is there's a 1.2 trillion in high yield debt and high yield debt are, it's typically companies or municipalities that are in, um, Less solid footing than than AAA companies, so they're more at risk. When you know we do see a, a market or economic downturn like we're seeing now, they're more at risk of going bankrupt and not being able to pay um, their creditors back. So that's obviously something to to that we are keeping track on as well you know, when you shut down the economy, it's a big impact to basically virtually almost all businesses. Hospitality was the one that was hit the hardest and initially hit the, the quickest. Um, people started canceling reservations, cities shut down restaurants, bars, public events. I think according to the Wall Street Journal, some restaurant traffic is is down um, as much as 80 to 90%. So some are still doing deliveries, takeouts, but um, yeah, it's, it's an enormous impact to it. Uh, larger some larger businesses, they're able to offer paid leave or rely on some of their profit margins, cash, you know, reserves that they have. Smaller businesses, a lot of them do not have this capability because there's thinner margins, smaller cash reserves. So I think we're starting to see some of the relief packages or relief options come out from there. One of them is the um, the SBA or the Small Business Association. They're offering loans for anyone with uh, impact from the coronavirus. Um, the loans are at three 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 and a half percent. Um, They're very easy to to apply for. Um, So if you are a business and you are impacted, it's definitely worth exploring whether that's an an option. Um, You know, I I think the businesses that did stay open, there was a move to work from home, which it seems like an easy, you know, fix-all solution. You you prevent contracting the virus in the workplace. However, um, there's a study that came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that only 28.8 percent of um, of workers can actually work for for home, so this creates additional knock on effects. Although um, I think of that twenty eight point eight, I'm sure if you really diagnosed or went into analyze that, um, you could probably increase that by. I'm, I'm sure there's more more workers that actually could work from home if they were if they had that that ability. So jobless claims hit a two year high on March nineteenth at two hundred eighty one thousand. There's indications that the jobless claims will grow to an unprecedented about two million um, pretty quickly. Um, I think in 2008, 2009 we saw it as high as 600,000. So, uh, you know, that's a the job the, that's the biggest I think concern is the uh, the layoffs and the and the people who aren't going to have income coming in. I know this whole crisis initially, you know, the markets were the first to get hit, and the markets are always a leading indicator of what's going on. Um, but we're seeing now, and there's, there was obviously a concern to to the stock market and people's investment accounts, retirement accounts. But I think very quickly it's changed to uh, short-term cash flow. And you know, if if people are laid off, you know, are they going to have enough cash to be able to pay their their bills? So you know, that's definitely something we'll we'll talk about going going forward. On March second, I think some of the surveys that were taken, twenty five percent of business owners believed that the economy had worsened from a year ago. So, March 2nd is really just as soon as this was getting started. March 9th, that number climbed to 38%. And it's right now at its highest uh, reading ever that of, uh, you know, people are are nervous. There's a Philadelphia manufacturing activity number that came out. It was at a three-year high in February, right before all this started. And now it's at its lowest reading since July of 2012. Um, Having said all that, the bottom line is that we're probably in a recession, but it's hopeful that any recession we have will be short-lived and would merely qualify as a technical recession. You know, if you have to remember that January-February numbers were really good economic numbers, the banking system is fundamentally sound, and unlike in 2008, the, you know, because of that, the data is showing that we could even see positive quarters in Q3 and quarter and quarter four. Um, so I think what a lot of people are are predicting is we're going to have a V-shaped recovery. So that means as fast as everything crumbled in the past month, once we do have a plan, once we see a path forward, we're going to see that that positive recovery spike up. So some more some more numbers from some of the big. Uh, financial institutions. Goldman Sachs is forecasting a 24% decline in 2020, quarterly GDP growth for Q2. So that's a negative 24% decline. That's obviously very big. Bank of America is forecasting a 12% decline for the second quarter and a 0.8% decline for the for the fourth quarter, that's year over year of, of the previous fourth quarter. Uh, JPMorgan Chase forecasting a 14% drop in the, in the second quarter and 1.9% decline for the year. Um, both JPMorgan and Bank of America, they're, they're currently forecasting a rebound in the second half of the year. And that's based on the assumption that the spread of the virus will have peaked in the second quarter. Um, but obviously, they're saying that you know a lot of this is uncertain to what we can see. So there are many things to consider regarding the path forward. Uh, first and foremost, you want to stay disciplined, stay focused to your long-term plans. And I know it's easy to say um, as your account values are dropping, but if you're, you know, if you're looking at a four hundred one k and IRA and you don't, you're not planning to retire in the near future, uh, the markets will come back. I don't think it's a matter of if; it's it's really when. Given that we're in a low inflation environment, low interest rate environment, with the ongoing technical uh, technological innovation that we're seeing, um, you know, there's actually still reason to believe that we're in a secular bull market, which means we can very quickly get out of this bear market and back into a to a bull market. You know, there's there's I, I talked about this a lot on my last podcast that there are planning techniques that you want to look at when the market is down. Those are things like Roth conversions, tax loss harvesting, gifting. Um, you know, I did talk about with interest rates being low, it may even be another chance or another opportunity to refinance your mortgage. And then, you know, that with the headlines, there's the 24-7 news cycle and, you know, it makes these events seem a lot worse than they need to be. So my advice is turn off the news when you can, um, you know, stay focused, maintain discipline, and, you know, you'll get through these difficult times. I always remember, um, when we had my first, uh, first child, we went into the doctor's office with a, with a plan and we did research and said, all right, here's what we want to do. Here's how we want to do it. And the doctor said, stay off the Google. Um, you know, here's how we're going to do it. So, you know, talk to, talk to someone who's in the know, talk to experts. There's information all over the place. And like I mentioned, some of it is, is good that I'm seeing. And some of it is, is bad, you know, whether it's to, uh, you know, invest in this or invest in that or take your money and stop or stop contributing to this or do that um, you know get some, get some help people are willing to help and we people are willing to, to give opinions. Um, if you don't have short-term cash flow needs keep contributing to your 401k your 529 or your savings account. So I've had a lot of people ask me recently should they stop you know if, if they're just losing money that they're putting in and the answer is no. One of the common investment uh, mantras is buy low and sell high. And, you know, in the theory, the the strategy is pretty simple. Purchase stocks at low prices. We all love sales and sell them at higher prices. Um, Obviously, implementing this is much more complicated because there's emotions and timing issues that that come into play. I've seen a lot of people one day they want to, you know, the market's getting cream. They want to sell everything and just not have to deal with with, uh, you know, seeing that market drop. And then the next day with the fluctuations that we're seeing, the market's up and then they're more confident and want to buy. Buy in. So, the best you know strategy is stick with your strategy. Um, you know, by attempting to time the markets, which people are still trying to do now, and and sell and go to the sideline. You're looking at you know you potentially if you were invested in in the S and P, you're looking at selling at a thirty percent loss from from the highest the uh, point that it was. Uh, you know, by doing that, you can miss out on on the market's best days, which. You know, the market's gains are really concentrated into a couple best days that they have. So if we look, be, uh, look back at the past 15 years, if you bought into the, the S&P 500 with $10,000 in 2004 and you sold on the last day of 2019, you would have netted $26,418, which is a 9% annualized return. So considering that that 15-year period contained a significant recession in 2008-2009, 9% is pretty good. But if instead you missed the market, and um, you know, even if you just missed the 10 best days of the market, you, your gain would only have been $8,358, which is a 4.1% return. So that's over a 15-year period. If you missed the 10 best days, um, you know, your gain gets, gets walloped. Time to get out was three months ago. Um, so right now, you know, going back to some of those planning things, take advantage of tax loss harvesting, gifting, Roth conversions, and there, you know, there are a couple other planning opportunities that are that are out there to to take advantage. Um, you know, while the coronavirus has sent us into a bear market, it's important to remember that typically markets rebound from epidemics and pandemics and geopolitical events. Pretty quickly, because the under underlying fundamentals were pretty strong. Whereas, you know, if we take two thousand eight, two thousand nine, where there were some financial issues that had to get fixed with the economy before we could recover. So, the average price return of the S and P five hundred after six months is eight point eight percent, and it's thirteen point six percent percent after twelve months. Um, the average bear market since nineteen fifty seven has lost thirty seven percent. When considering equ- equities for moving forward. Um, you know some of my favorite are the dividend paying stocks with strong balance sheets, so you want to look at companies that don 't have debt or have pristine balance sheets are raising their dividends, have consistent revenues um, but again it 's not investment advice talk to to someone because what fits you might uh, not fit you know someone someone else it's it 's really early to determine the magnitude or duration of this recession so, you know that 's another question I get is how long will it will it last? So you want companies that can endure, and enduring means having a lot of cash reserves, having cash flow still coming in even if there is an economic downturn. So um, you know, in, in the companies that you're looking at, that's that those are typically the ones that will hold up better. So another uh, statistic, according to the Dow Jones Market Data, the S&P 500 posted a gain of 14.59% after the first occurrence of SARS back in 2002, um, and I know this is different. Than SARS, this is uh, you know it seems like it's at a at a much larger scale. Um, but if we look at all the different pandemics um, that we've seen, uh, initially there there was a little bit of poor performance, not like we're seeing now. But um, you know the market did experience gains within one year, and a lot of times sooner they they came back. So it's hard really to compare apples to apples. What's going on now with some of the other pandemics? Maybe with the exception of the um, the 2017 Spanish flu. Um, but it was in a totally different market environment way back then than, than we're in now. So, um, But it does offer some positive hope of, of what's going on. Aside from the difference in the severity of the stock market, the U.S. corporate bond spread today, it's much lower than it was in 2008. And that spread is an indicator of how risky investors think the market is. So that's usually good. Um, usually the corporate bond spread is about 4%. Currently, it's about 8%, which is a, definitely a, a deviation from the norm, but still it's nowhere near what it was in the financial crisis where it's it spread up to 21%. So to put it another way, investors think that the market is is riskier than it usually is, but they don't think that it's on the brink of disaster like it was in 2008. And as widening bond spreads indicate trouble ahead, a, a tightening of bond spreads will give us an, an all-clear signal that's one of the things that I'm watching on on my side. Um, and although entering the market could make sense for, for um, you know, th- different types of investors, um, you, you definitely want to look at the credit markets um, because the credit markets are a great indicator of what's going on or what we can expect going, going forward as well. We're right in the middle of the crisis, so it's too soon to say if this is going to be another 2008, 2009. But uh, you don't want to get caught up in the short term, the, the, um, you know, the immediate, but instead try to think long term. Um, you know, there've been 12 bear markets since World War II with an average decline of 32 and a half% as measured um, you know, from the from the peak to the trough. Uh bear markets have lasted an average of 14 and a half months and they've taken an average of 2 years to recover. Um so some some things to consider avoid, you know, fear-based decisions, focus on the long term, stick with your financial plan. And again, I'm going to go back to some of those planning topics that we talked to with the tax loss harvesting, Roth conversions, gifting, um, you know, refinancing. But how else can we prepare? So, you know, no one ever regretted preparing for for an emergency. So one thing I recommend is create a household plan of action in case someone in the family does get illness or there's some disruption of daily activities, um, you know, to, to whatever is going going on. You want to at least have 30 days of prescription, over-the-counter medication, know how to get food delivered if possible. And before this happened, I thought I was in good shape. I, I've been an Amazon Fresh user ever since they started. Um, and I thought, yeah, I'd have no problem getting deliveries, but uh, I think everyone became an Amazon Fresh user recently, so I can't get a delivery time now. Um, you also want to establish ways to communicate with, with others and you know, if if you haven't already, you know, figure out your teleworking or your your working from home schedule, childcare needs, how to adapt to and you know whatever's getting everything is getting canceled now. Um, and, You know, another proponent. I'm a uh, uh, I'm a proponent of getting all your documents organized. Um, so I'll leave a link in the a link to a document in the show notes of you know all the different documents that you should have at your fingertips. And when I say fingertips, that could be electronically or physical copies of them. But these are all good documents um, that you never know when you're going to need. Um, the other the other uh, thing I mentioned earlier is budgeting may become important now. Um, you know, especially if someone's having cash flow issues, if there's loss of income, loss of job. So one quick tip is just go through all of your expenses, whether you take a credit card bill or I have a tool that can pull in your transactions and categorize them. And you really want to look at you just break every single transaction, or you know, first start. You can start with categories, but break down what are the needs and what are the wants. So very simple. Separate all of your, tra- your all of your expenses into one of those two into either needs or wants, and it'll help you be able to reprioritize your your dollars. Then after doing that, you want to give every category that you have a goal. Um, you know, just as an example, so a need would be groceries, taxes, medical, auto insurance, whereas a wants could be things like vacation, fitness. Gifts dining out, um, but budgeting in normal times is is not the the most pleasant activity to do. Um, now it's extremely stressful, um, so it's definitely something though that that if you are going through cash flow problems or you tis- anticipate going through cash flow issues, it's something to, to do now. Um, also, prepare for the worst. Um, you know, I also recommend getting the big three documents of estate planning together, and those are a will, a healthcare directive, and a power of attorney. Um, you know, unfortunately the things can, can be bad and things can get bad and having those three documents can, can help, um, you know, in different situations, depending upon what's, what's going on as horrific and as challenging as this all is, we will get through it. If there's any way I can help, I'm always available to talk. And my contact info is on my website, BoudisFinancial.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutist Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.